Sponsored by 1010 Podcasts. The Celtic Exchange. A fresh insight on Celtic Football Club. Hello and welcome to this very special episode of the Celtic Exchange podcast. I'm your host Tino and today I'm delighted to be joined by Anthony Joseph of Sky Sports News as we take a look behind the transfer window and discuss the various incomings and outgoings at Celtic Park in recent weeks. For those who aren't familiar with Anthony, he's one of the most respected journalists in the Celtic digital space and is often the man to break the news, sometimes good news, sometimes not so good, on the latest happenings at Parkhead. If you aren't already following him on Twitter, then I'd highly recommend doing so. But in the meantime, Anthony, welcome back to the Celtic Exchange. Hi, Tino. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. That's a very flattering intro again. (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff. How's things going yourself? Obviously, transfer window, you know, I'm sure it's as busy a time as any for yourself and your colleagues. How's the last few weeks been? Yeah, I mean, it has been very busy. Uh, I only got back to work uh, due to my illness a, a couple of weeks ago, but it was straight into it on the on the transfer window and just trying to catch up with everything that's been going um, regarding Celtic and also just other clubs and other moves that have been going that uh, are that my contacts are involved in. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it was very busy and deadline day was very extremely busy. I mean, uh-huh. my doctor will not thank me for. <laughs> uh, well, not be well. Sorry, my doctor will not be happy with the shift that I did on on deadline day. Not, yeah. not that all it was all my own accord. Obviously, my my work were not pressurising me to do to do so. But there was yeah. just a lot of stuff going on with uh, people I was uh, people I know and people that were involved in deals. Yeah, I hope your uh, doctor is a listener, Anthony. I'm sure he is. Uh, I thought <laughs> feel free to send him the podcast. But yeah, good to hear that you're you're keeping well. And we were having a wee chat off air about uh, your recovery after your, your COVID battle. So good to hear that you're back on track. And yeah, I'm sure it's been a particularly busy time there with the window. I mean, even on that note, do you guys, you and your colleagues, do you get a bit of downtime after the window? Does it, you know, does it calm off a bit or is it just business as usual at, at Sky Sports? Yeah, it does. Well, it does for the people who are heavily involved in the window. So in a norm, in normal circumstances, um, it's hard to describe what normal circumstances are now, but uh, whether it's my COVID situation or the COVID situation. But during the window, we usually have a transfer desk. And um, a lot of the time I would be the news editor for the transfer desk. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly the two previous two windows I was and the the people who are constantly working on on transfers and only on transfers uh it's very busy time for us and we're, we're working towards the transfer shows which we put out at 5 p.m and 7 p.m on sky sports news as well with mm-hmm. darmish and cave but there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes to get those stories and get those lines and create a show around it and yeah what you'll find is myself darmish cave was brian involved as well and even the the people who aren't reporters, the producers, uh, Simon Cooper, Josh Gardner, Ed Higgins, uh, Ed Higgs, sorry, um, they will all probably just take a couple of weeks off straight after the window. Um, Because I'm in the situation where I'm sort of working uh, less hours, I'm just doing Tuesdays and Thursdays at the moment, I'm just working from home, I haven't done so. But uh, yeah, if I was, if I'd been working the full window flat out, Mm -hmm. I, w- I would definitely have earmarked two weeks to go away on holiday or um, yeah. maybe not on holiday uh, because of the situation, but maybe even up to Scotland or something like that. Yeah, definitely. I can imagine it's such a busy time. Were you surprised? I was just looking at some of the figures today as well, just from a more general point of view. So aside from Celtic, I think the figure doing the rounds is 1.1 billion was spent in the Premiership on the during that window. 
I believe it's a drop of 11% from last summer, but it's still a huge figure, isn't it, during a, a global pandemic? Were you surprised at the spend, or is that just par for the course there now? Yeah, I, I very rarely get surprised by anything that happens in the English Premier League and transfer fees and stuff like that. Everyone has to take it with a pinch of salt. It doesn't like people were talk going on about Harry Kane and Jack Grealish. Are they worth a hundred million pounds? Of course, they're not worth a hundred million pounds. But that is the market. So it's it's gives a false sense of reality. It doesn't mean these players are better than certain players in in other leagues like the Bundesliga and the Liga and that. Um, it doesn't just because of their price tag doesn't mean mean they're they are elite or world class or I'm not saying they're not but mm-hmm. I'm just saying price tags are just ridiculous in yeah. in England especially and uh, everyone should take it with a pinch of salt and I, I bear it, it does really doesn't surprise me when what surprises me actually when you say a drop of eleven percent that one point one billion is a drop of eleven percent but mm-hmm. um. Yeah, uh, that's that's just the nature of, of that league. Yeah, I think as well, you're, you're absolutely right in saying that the price that someone pays does not reflect, you know, the talent you're getting. I mean, you look at Lubo Moravchik for 300 odd grand, it tells you that at times it's just it's just a figure. And it's, as it's just a way of things down there, just yeah. blown I saw away someone, to be honest with you with I, some of the prices. I saw um, someone tweet that we live in a world where Ollie McBurney is more expensive than Ronaldo. <laughs> Something like that, yes. which, which just uh, says a lot. It's just terrifying. <laughs> I mean, yeah. even on that note, I mean, as I say, just before we step into the Celtic stuff, was there any any signings that, that stood out for you? Obviously, we'd mentioned Grealish there, 100 million. Ronaldo returns to United. Messi, PSG, very rare, of course, for you know two of the biggest talents of all time to move in the same window. But was there anything that stood out for you, you know, on those deals or, or even anything separate? Yeah, well, the Ronaldo thing was obviously unbelievable in terms of we were thought he was going to City and he was flying over to Lisbon to have his. Uh, he, he was in advanced talks with City, but they pulled out, and it, everything just happened so quick that they, the news of them pulling out just filtered through around maybe nine o'clock to us in the morning at Man City pulling out. And Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's press conference was at like 9.30 and we got it in live. And it was, we asked Ole Gunnar Solskjaer Solskjaer the question, Mm -hmm. uh, so what do you make of City City pulling out or him not going to City? Is that a good thing? Not thinking there's any chance that he'd be going to Man United. Yeah. And he left it so open and we it kind of made us think, why were they actually he's left it so open? He says we're constantly in talks with him. We're constantly speaking to him because he's got a good relationship with the club. And of course, we would we would like to have him here and things like that. And that was not the answer anyone was expecting from him. Yeah. <laughs> so and then it then it came through that he'd spoken to Alex Ferguson in the morning as well, and it was it looked like he was going to get head to Man United, and it, it was just the most astonishing turn of events in terms of how qu- the pace it it was, uh, the pace it went at, and also of how big a name Ronaldo is, arguably one of the arguably the best player in the world. I still think Messi is better, but mm. definitely one of the best players in the world ever. Yeah. And for him to be possibly in the morning going towards Man City to then switching to Man United and the big return, yes, it was a huge, a huge deal. Um, the one that slipped under the radar, I think, was Danny Ings going mm-hmm. from Southampton to Villa, and that was everyone was going on about how that was old school. Nobody knew about this. 
Mm-hmm. No one in the media had caught wind of this transfer until it was announced. Nobody even said set to sign or they're talking yeah. or whatever. Aston Villa and Southampton both just announced Danny Ings has signed for Aston Villa. And it was just like, wow. And mm-hmm. um, that was more the fact that nobody had caught wind of it just usually someone knows something mm-hmm. or there's something reported somewhere uh, it's it was yeah that was good fun as well yeah i think you need to replace your sources at villa and southampton uh, <laughs> they, they've they've let you down there uh, but yeah it'd be really exciting to see particularly ronaldo obviously you know i think he's 36 now isn't he but mm-hmm. just what an absolute athlete he is and i think he's the kind of guy that could potentially play till 40. So it'd be really exciting to see how that develops. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing him take to the field. So moving on to matter Celtic. So what we'll do today, Anthony, we'll be running through you know each of the major transfers, of course. But in general, were you surprised by Celtic's own net spend? So I think it's just under 20 million from my calculations. Or was that to be expected, given the, the shape of the squad that Ange Postacoglu inherited? Um, yes, maybe surprised they did spend that, but... Then also given yeah what you're saying given the work that needed uh, was was needed in the squad and the rebuilds uh, it probably makes sense and the fact they got money in from Ayer and uh, Edward leaving as well that's definitely helped because I do wonder what the spend would have been like had they not got such good fees um, for both of those players mm-hmm. but um, yeah I th- they they needed major surgery to the squad I think it's a bit less. Uh, I know they've signed 12 players, but I don't, um, I, I still think, I, th- I thought there'd be a lot more uh, coming in um, over the summer, mm-hmm. but m- maybe that's because certain targets um, weren't achievable or the, the, just the rush as well that they had. When Ange came in, they had about, what, two weeks, two and a half weeks before the first qualifier. Yeah. Yeah, the and, then you're, and then you're straight into the league season. And um, i I remember tweeting about that. Was it after the Hearts game? I think um, where I was quite worried. I was like, they're not even ready for this season. Mm-hmm. Um, in in terms of the league, usually we sort of, well, we don't understand. We do all Celtic fans always say we need to be prepared for the Champions League qualifiers, but it very rarely happens. But we're usually always prepared for the league. And I don't think they were for that first first game against Hearts, but uh, there's also there's various factors come into it as well. There's the quarantines, there's the the, the delays. There was obviously time difference in negotiations with uh, for Kyogo as well. So there's there's lots there was lots of uh, variables to it, but I still think there was quite a lot of um, a lot of things rushed because of the lack of preparation from mm-hmm. since since February, I think, since yeah. Neil Lennon left uh, Celtic. That's, and it's a funny one because there were so many people saying, you know, we've known for such a long time we need a right back. Frimpong was away early to, to Leverkusen. We knew John Joe Kenny was going back and we knew that Tony Ralston was the only uh, remaining contender for that position. Obviously, he's gone on to impress, but... It, it was absolutely, you know, abundantly clear that we needed reinforcements in that position. But that said, Celtic in a tricky position, aren't they? Because do you go and replace them before you've you've named and placed your manager, and then he maybe inherits a right back that he doesn't favour or, or doesn't fit his system? So, I do believe that is difficult. And I, I think to be absolutely fair to to him, Don McKay has inherited a very very tough, you know, first couple of months hmm. uh, in the position. And I'm only hopeful that Celtic moving forward can be more prepared. As fans, it's so frustrating that every year, every year we go into these qualifiers ill-prepared 
And we often wait till we get knocked out the Champions League qualifiers and then sign the guy, then sign yeah. the centre half or whatever. And it's so frustrating to see. So hopefully, we understand this particular window has been so unique, but hopefully moving forward, uh, we'll see a bit more um, you know, advanced prep ahead of these games. So what, what we'll do today, Anthony, you, you mentioned rightly there, there's there's 12 players, 13 if you include Boso and Lawal, who's a, a B-team player, I think, that signed from Watford. Um, the two guys I'm not going to cover really in, in much detail today is Liam Shaw and Osazi Uragide. They both came in from Sheffield Wednesday. So what we'll do is we'll look at the 10 Poir classes, first team ready signings in my opinion, uh, and we'll run through them if that suits yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds yeah. good. So what I was going to do, again, I was unsure whether to do this uh, in chronological order and, or what might be best, but I've, I've decided uh, to go through it in terms of position. So on that very basis, we'll start with the goalie, Joe Hart. Now, this one, you know, definitely split opinion when it was first uh, floated. And, you know, until he, until he really came in, people were very, very unsure. Were you surprised to see him make the move north, considering that it looked like he was starting to to wind down his career uh, whilst at Spurs? Um, yeah, I, I was surprised it actually all all went ahead, actually, because the Celtic tried to get him last season as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looked like, and the way Andrew was talking, was at the start of the season that Barkas would would be the number one. He was trying to to big him up a little bit, and I think very early on it looked like maybe maybe he should be given a second chance, Barkas. But I but since then it's proved that what was the the rest of the preseason friendlies and the early signs of the the Champions League qualifiers as well. It kind of showed that he was still not up to the standard that needed to be. Very perhaps it's because he hasn't set still hasn't settled yet because he was a good goalkeeper at AK Athens and it's has been league. Greece's goalkeeper as well. So, mm-hmm. but he's he's not performing to to those levels certainly, um, and hasn't done for Celtic. So Ange can't wait for that. Celtic mm-hmm. can't wait for that. So they had to go into the market and get a goalkeeper quite quickly. Um, to be ready for the season because we talked about this on the last uh, the last time I was on. It's so important, isn't it, to have a good goalkeeper. And when they had Fraser Forster, you just knew that if the defence was leaking a little bit, Forster's there to to make a good save or sa- win points for you. And Celtic didn't have a goalkeeper that won points uh, won points for them last season. And they changed the goalkeeping position five times between the three goalkeepers. And that can't happen. They need someone who is their number one and who's f- fit for the job. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, certainly let's hope it's Joe Hart. He's he's uh, had some good moments and he's had some dodgy moments, let's just say as well. Yeah, <laughs> the, the Alkmaar mistake was a, was a howler, but I think yeah. o- over the piece, he certainly gets passed marks for what he's bringing I think you know he's just a very very assured person he's he's a guy who in my opinion was you could certainly accuse him in his earlier career of being a wee bit arrogant a bit cocky but he seems to have have mellowed and and matured with age and I think he brings a real presence to the team I think he's helping Callum McGregor with some of the burden you can see the way he connects with his teammates and the way he celebrates as well after some of the big wins and yeah to your point Anthony I think it's so so important to have a guy behind you that the defence can trust first and foremost and Barkas was not that man. I think aside from his uh, mistake against Mitchelland for the, the goal they scored at Celtic Park, I was at the friendly against West Ham. Mm-hmm. And for a guy who hasn't you know, played well for the best part of a year, at one point I seen him out in the left-back position trying to dink it over a striker's head to find, I think, Greg Taylor. 
And I just could not believe the arrogance of the guy trying to do that for yeah. a guy who should just have been keeping it simple. So he's not the man for me. I mean, was there any talk of him potentially leaving during the window? I believe his wages are quite strong, but was there any chat of him moving on? Um, not that I was aware of anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I, um, I do know there were reports in Greece that he was... Um, there were a few Greek clubs who were interested in him, mm-hmm. but I don't think he sees his future back in Greece. I think he wants right. to, try, to try and stay at Celtic and, and stake a claim, if not move to another big club uh, yeah. ac- across Europe. I think even in some of the recent teams, when they've allowed two goalies on the bench, it's been Bain and Barkas, but for whatever competition they're only allowed one, it has just been Bain. So very interesting that he seems to begin nudged closer and closer to the exit. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, on to right back. So Josip Juranovic has come in for 2.6 million from Legia Warsaw. He obviously made his debut in the game at Ibrox before the break, uh, but interestingly covered over at left back uh, following Greg Taylor's shoulder injury. I thought he had a decent game, actually. I, I don't know what your own take was on it. Obviously, it's not his favourite position, but he done fairly well for me. What do you think we're going to get from a guy like that? Yeah, I think this was a really good signing from Celtic. This was uh, very good business as well. We've got um, Croatia's right back playing for Celtic now, who and only cost them under two million, two point five million pounds as well. So that that in itself is good business on paper, and you you could see what he can offer, even though he was playing out of position um, at Ibrox. I I hate having. Uh, right-footed players in the left-back position uh, and vice versa, mm-hmm. just because you always know they're going to cut in. It's so easy to play against. Yeah. Um, it's a bit different when they're attacking um, in an attacking sense. If it's a right-footed midfielder playing on the left wing, that's a bit different because they're they're coming at you at speed. But when you're receiving the ball from the goalkeeper in a position where it, the, the pace is like 10, 10 miles per hour or something like that, you're not, you're immediately thinking, or, or where am I going to put this? You can't just drive down the line or anything because you're not on your natural side. Uh-huh. But uh, he did, he did, he did well. He put in a good shift. Yeah. But um, yeah, and it's there's plenty more to see from him. I think um, we he's got some strike on him. If you've seen mm-hmm. some of his goals uh, for uh-huh. Legia Warsaw, um, and yeah, that. That certainly seems like a good bit of business. Yeah, I think so. Um, on the left-hand side, so we've got, a, I would say, a bit of an unknown quantity in Liam Scales. So I think he's 23 years of age, signed for somewhere in the region of 500,000 from Shamrock Rovers. By all accounts, he can also play uh, in the centre of defence. But do you have much insight on him, Anthony? Do you know much yourself or what um, do you think? Not in terms of watching him play, but from what I've been told is he is more of a natural centre back he has played also central defensive midfield defensive midfielder as well but yeah left uh, Shamrock were using him as a left wing back certainly in their last few games and that I, I honestly just don't know what kind of level he's at I've mm-hmm. not seen him play I've seen clips of him playing he's earned his first Ireland uh, call up as well yeah and there's potential in there maybe um he's got number five as well so i presume they they see him as someone who is going to be playing in and out Mm -hmm. and it was one of those where there was an agreement quite early on that he was going to be signing for celtic but what shamrock rovers wanted was that he at least tried to help them get to the europa league the europa conference league and negotiate those qualifiers which he obviously was a key player for them and even scored in their their last game um 
uh, the away leg. But uh, yeah, that one was never in doubt. And it's, I really don't know what kind of level of player he is. I'd be, I'd be lying if I said he's, he's going to come in and set the Heather, the, set the Heather alight in the Scottish Premiership and in Europe. But uh, yeah, well, time will tell. And he might, yeah. he might grow into the role as well. I think so. And I think unlike most of the other signings who are, you know, relatively well established, if you look at guys like Juranovic and, and Hart, McCarthy's obviously got a reputation, Kyogo, um, Jack Amakis, who's, you know, a decent age. There's not many, you know, Celtic are famed for their uh, project signings and scales might fall somewhere between the two. As you rightfully say, we don't really know much about him in this part of the world, but the hope is that, that Ange and the team have scouted him well and that he can possibly hit the ground running and slot right in. Um, in terms of the centre-half positions themselves, so obviously Celtic are in quite a unique position that Christopher Julian is still you know, recovering and coming back from a long-term injury. I would think that he would slot back in as a first choice when fit and available. But in the meantime, we've had this situation where um, you know, we've got the young centre-halves, Dane Murray's been in, Stephen Welsh has been in. Welsh now looks fairly well-established and he's recently been paired up with new signing Carl Starfelt. He definitely divides opinion, Anthony. I'm sure you'll agree. Uh, not a cheap one, 4.5 million from Ruben Kazan. Do you think he will go on to better things than what he's shown already? Or, you know, what's your thoughts on that guy? Yeah, you'd hope so, given the price tag. Um, and he's an international as well. Uh, he, he, what he described himself um, in the fan media press conference mm-hmm. um, when he signed was he described himself as someone with speed and was fast. Um, I haven't seen that from him yet. Yeah. And uh, he does seem to get outpaced quite easily. Mm-hmm. Um, it might just be the opposition he's played against so far. But um, yeah, he's got a lot to to do. He had an absolute howler um, away at Alkmaar. Yeah. And yeah, I, I Players take time to settle, but uh, he's, you say, divides opinion. I think at the moment he's not hitting the pass marks. Um, he came he came onto a good game uh, after that, how learn it, uh, Altmar, I thought as yeah. well. So we've got to give him credit to, um, he could have just completely crumbled or mm-hmm. um, tried to hide, but he was he was definitely a presence at the back for, for some nervy moments there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, the jury is definitely still out on him. Um, I, I would say he is performing maybe under pass mark, under a pass mark at the moment. I think so too as well. That you know that's that's my feelings in the matter. And some people have accused um, you know either mainstream or, or fan media of having a bit of a vendetta uh, against Starfield. Yeah. Now, from our point of view as Celtic fans, we want nothing more than to to see every one of the new signings succeed. Yeah. But you also can't uh, deny what's in front of your eyes. And I think yeah, you know, so far. So far, so average from Starfield, and he's he will he will need to to improve somewhat if he's going to be accepted moving forward as a as a first choice centre half. In terms of that pace thing, I totally agree as well. I, I think he's maybe running well a weighted vest on by the looks of it because yeah. he is sluggish at best. But you know, it's maybe been a bit of a whirlwind for him coming in from Russia. You know, settling into Glasgow life. I suppose we've got to accept that he's only really been here, you know, a matter of weeks. And maybe after the international break, we'll see you know the better side of, of Carl Starfelt. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, we've also gone back in the market. So very, very late in the day and picked up Cameron Carter-Vickers uh, on loan from Spurs, I believe, with a view to a permanent move if it all works out. Um, that was obviously a bit of a surprise slash bonus for Celtic fans. I think it happened very late in the day. How did you see that one playing out? Yeah, well, 
as far as I'm aware, uh, Celtic went in for him a couple of months ago or a month ago and just inquired about him and Spurs said, no, he's not He's not someone they're, they're trying to, to move on. And then it got later in the window, very late in the window, and on deadline day, Celtic again inquired about a loan. And Spurs told them that they were not prepared to entertain a loan. Um, they wanted a permanent transfer. So Celtic seemingly to them walked away from walked away from the deal and uh, well it wasn't a deal it was an inquiry mm-hmm. where we're gonna go without getting another central defender in which I think going by my Twitter notifications that day when we said it's looking very unlikely yeah. um I was early in the day and there was a lot of people quite angry about that mm-hmm. and uh, it came to Amian Amian the French club they mm-hmm. came in with a bid, uh, a loan bid, with an option to buy of 1.7 million. Spurs rejected that. That was in the late afternoon, I think it was. Uh, just trying to recall it. And about 10:30 at night on deadline day, Spurs called Celtic to say he is available on loan mm-hmm. with an option to buy. Can we get a deal done? Yeah. And they they tried hard to get the deal done, and they did just before the deadline. I think it was only like 15, 20 minutes before the deadline that the deal was done. Right. And yeah, it was quite late drama, certainly um, involving Celtic, which we weren't expecting after uh, what we'd been told in the morning and the afternoon that it was looking very unlikely. But if it had it not been for Spurs calling Celtic to say, look, he's, we'll, we'll agree to a loan now, actually. Mm-hmm. We, can't, we can't sell him at, mm-hmm. the, at this moment in time. Um, it, it all happened very quickly um, in, the, in the matter of a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. It's interesting as well. It's very similar to some of the, the players that Chelsea have in their books in that they keep them for several years, four, five, six years of development, but they barely touch the first team spending lots of loan, loan spells away from the club. This has been the case for Carter Vickers, so I think he's had something like six or seven clubs on loan, whilst only having made maybe half a dozen or so Spurs appearances. So he's been, I think, Sheffield United, I think Bournemouth, various other clubs. So he's, he's yet to certainly see out his full potential, um, and it looks like that won't happen at Spurs. He's 23, he is a, a USA international, so he comes with a, a decent pedigree. So the hope is that he can and step up. He's a big bit of a guy, isn't he? You'll have seen some of the pictures. He's a he's a huge, huge machine. Um, I wonder if with that he won't be as pacey as we'd hope as well. So it'll be very interesting to see, and also interesting to see if he slots right in. Do you think he would replace Starfield at this moment in time? Possibly, and if if he is going to replace someone, I hope it is Starfield rather than Stephen Welsh. Mm-hmm. While Welsh might not be a full international or have the the glamour about him. Um, I think he is performing at a very good level at the moment and he's he's been quite consistent and I, I, I really wouldn't want to take uh, Stephen Welsh out that side. Mm-hmm. If anyone, um, it's going to be Starfelt. Yeah, Celtic's first game back is on Saturday coming, 11th September against Ross County at home and it'll be very telling as to who Ange picks in his starting lineup. There's you know, some other guys we'll go on to that are also just in the door and it will make for a very, very uh, interesting first 11. So whether Car- Carter Vickers is in that remains to be seen. Uh, further up the park, Anthony, we've got uh, James McCarthy, uh, centre midfielder, of course. He was on freedom of contract after his most recent spell at Crystal Palace. We've seen a glimpse of him initially. He came off the bench, I think, uh, first couple of times uh, after he arrived. 
Not seen much of him since. I think he's maybe missed out in the last certainly two or three squads. It looks like he's lacking fitness at this moment in time, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And um, it's hardly surprising, really. Um, he hasn't played much football. Um, and yeah, I, I, what he's assigning there for experience. I think he will play his part at Celtic um, this season and um, for, for a couple of years more as well. Um, he's when we have seen him play for Crystal Palace, he is someone you do notice on the pitch as well. He, he does have an impact on games. And uh, yeah, it's just a case. Celtic do have a luxury of, of talent in midfield. And most of the time Celtic are going to be attacking, but at times you need to hold out for a win. If you're 2-0 up and you lose a goal in the 80th minute, it comes. it's a nervy t- last 10 minutes and players like James McCarthy can come on and do their bit. Mm-hmm. Or even if they're on already, they, they can influence the game and just keep a cool head. And I think that's what he's been signed for. Um, and yeah, he'll play his bit. Yeah, I think so. And I think he's... It, it, it'll be interesting to see if Ange uses him sparingly or if he becomes a you know a first choice and allows McGregor to then move further up the park. But I think he's absolutely got a role to play. He's not a he's not a creative, he's not a 10, he's not the kind of guy who's going to thread through balls or, or chip in with 10 to 15 goals. But what he absolutely does do is he protects the midfield and in turn protects that defence for you. And it may allow Ange to be a bit more uh, creative with, with somebody's thinking moving forward. I also know just you know from James McCarthy as a person and, and as a family they'll be desperate for him to succeed. They're such a huge Celtic family and he's very genuine and he's support for the club. So I wish him all the best and hopefully we'll see, uh, you know, more from him after the break as well. Moving forward, so the next few guys I'm going to mention, they are all creative types and we know this is how Ange likes to play. He's got this front six thing going on where he, you know, he wants pace in the transitions and and he wants this real explosive style of football. So first up, we'll go to the right-hand side where Leal Abada, he's come in for three and a half million from Maccabi Petatikva, I think was the club. Yeah. And he absolutely hit the ground running. So, of course, he scored the first goal against Mitchelland eh, in the qualifier at Celtic Park. Since then, he's gone on to grab a couple more and various assists. How do you think he's settling into life at Celtic? I think he's settling in just fine, isn't he? <laughs> he's he's some talent to have, I think, uh, at Celtic. He's one of the top, uh, he was listed as one of the top 100 young players to watch, um, which is uh, also a good boost for him and a boost for Celtic as well. He's so busy. He just always look. He's just buzzing around all the time. If you if you look at him off the ball, sometimes I remember it might have been the qualifiers, um, and I was just watching him for a while, and he was just all over in terms of he was pressing, if the ball was going back, he would race back, he would mm-hmm. always show for an option. If if, if Celtic had the ball in, in the central midfield, he would always he'd pull back or he'd try and make a, a darting run forward uh, for a long ball to be played or a more adventurous ball to be played. And it's it does, he fits perfectly into the type of football that um, Andrew's trying to play. And like you said, it is explosive. And to have a player that every time he gets the ball, you think something could happen or something is going to happen. He just always looks dangerous. And I, I think he's he's going to be a very good signing for Celtic. Yeah. And at just 19 years of age as well, he's only going to get better. He's very exciting, as you say, very explosive. And he, he's the classic uh, type of player that you know fans come to watch. Interesting question for you. So uh, here at the Celtic Exchange, there's much debate. Uh, I'll not name names, James. Uh, but much debate over James Forrest um, in terms of where he's at now and, and what he's bringing to the party. To be fair to James Forrest, he's obviously he's 
very well decorated as a Celtic player and has been a huge success for us over the years, absolutely. At the moment, though, he has you know, had a bit of a stop-start return from injury and into the bargain, Abada has hit the ground running. Where are you at that on you know, Abada versus Forrest, Anthony? Would you, would you like to see them both in the same team or do you think it's now time for Abada to step in with Forrest stepping back? Um, I'm not... I'm not sure it matters too much because I think what's going to happen over the course of a season with European games and games at twice playing twice a week is you're going to be switching it about, especially the style that Ange plays. It's going to it's quite draining. It's going to be draining on a squad um, come Christmas. So there's going to have to be changes. And if you've got players who can, we all know what James Forrest can do. Yet he was injured for most of last season, but the, before that, his previous season. He'd been involved in 38 goals, either scoring or assisting. That's a lot of goals. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a huge miss to have for Celtic last season. Him out of the team was a was uh, a big reason why Celtic uh, weren't free scoring as, as they usually were. Mm-hmm. And the season before that, he was also involved in 38 goals, scoring mm-hmm. and assisting. So that's two seasons in a row where he's involved in 38 goals and then Celtic lose him for most of the next season and Celtic were poorer and not as creative and not scoring as many goals. And he, he is a major part of that. And he's still got that talent. He's still a pacey, tricky winger. And uh, Celtic need him in their squad and he will be used as well. I I, I don't worry too much about who's, start, who's going to be starting, whether it's Abada or Forrest or both together, because that squad is going to be used to the max. Yeah, I think it's going to be quite a fluid squad and I think Ange likes to make changes. At the moment, it certainly looks around about the 60-minute mark where he just needs fresh legs given the, the demands of his system. I think from James Forrest's point of view as well, we've we seen the best of him um, when Patrick Roberts came in and put some pressure on him. Uh, a number of seasons ago, and I think that got an extra level out of Forrest. So actually, it could work both ways. This could happen again. A bad, I could push him and, and bring him back to you know to previous heights. But also, Forrest can and will push a badder. You know, it worked both ways, and and all going well from a Celtic point of view, they will both bring out the best of each other for the the season ahead and beyond. Um, moving to the other side of the park, Anthony, I believe uh, Philippe Yota coming in on a loan from Benfica, similar deal, I suppose, to Carter Vickers, and that is loan with a view to making it permanent for around about six and a half million, I believe. Um, 22 years of age, highly, highly rated uh, young man. There was talk of Madrid being interested a couple of seasons ago. How true that is, uh, I'm not entirely sure, but he certainly seems to come with a a big reputation. Were you surprised that Celtic managed to get a guy of his talent in the door? Um, No, I'm not surprised he managed to get someone of his talent through the door, but surprised that there is an option to buy on this deal. Celtic, very highly rate this player. And you're talking about Real Madrid. As far as I'm aware, um, certainly through people who are involved in the deal, Real Madrid did make an inquiry about him a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and saw his, saw him as a player with real potential. So he's, but Cel- he is the one player out of this window that Celtic are very excited about. And I was told by, by one source that this is, they fully expect to be, trying to buy him next uh, next summer right. and if they they expect him to flourish and they expect him to to really um set the place alight and uh, in terms of the style of football that Ange plays he, he he's a 
again, I'm going by what people are telling me rather than I, I, I don't know this myself because I've not seen him play, but apparently he fits into this, into the mold perfectly and fits into the system that they're trying to play and the kind of the pace and the, the, the power that they're trying to, the explosiveness, like you said, um, that I'm just trying to instill in the side. Uh, yeah, he's highly regarded at Celtic and they've done very well to get him in with an option to buy. I believe it's just, it's a bit less than 6.5 million, the option right. to buy. I think it's just over 6 million. So um, that, well, let's see what he's like, obviously, the, yeah. um, in Scottish football and, and in Europe as well. So mm-hmm. let's let's see what he's like and perhaps he might he might turn out to be a bargain at 6 million. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, from the you know the short clips I've seen, and obviously you're, you're seeing the best of him through these YouTube clips and different mm-hmm. things. He looks like a seriously exciting talent. Just again, like Abada, the kind of guy that you, you go and watch football for. So again, you know, as we start to look forward after the international break here, it's going to be really exciting for the fans to to see these guys take to the park for the first time, and and hopefully they can hit the ground running. You mentioned that he seems to be perfectly suited to Angie's style, and I absolutely believe that to be the case. Another guy I'm just about to touch on, I think less so. So it's Georges Giacomakis, who's come in uh, again on, on deadline day from VVV Ven- Venlos, I believe is the club. Yeah. He was top scorer in the Eredivisie uh, last year, despite his club getting relegated. But he looks more, uh, from what I can gather, more of a target man, more of a you know a focal point, a, a traditional number nine, if you like. Whereas Ange, as, as he's shown so far, doesn't tend to have that kind of, of option. So is that to give him an option, do you think? Or where do you see him fitting in? Yeah, it's hard It's hard to see where he would fit in to the current style that Ange wants to play. But what is, for me, is heartening is the fact that it looks like Ange will, if something is not, if plan A isn't working, it's not like you try and do plan A better, which I, mm-hmm. I know some managers stick to their philosophy and only want to play that. This signing to me looks like Ange and Celtic are prepared to switch to a different plan if the game requires, if the game needs it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, if I was to tell you Celtic can sign the top scorer of the Eredivisie for less than £2.5 million, pounds, mm-hmm. what, what would you, on paper, you'd have to forget who it is. Yeah. You'd be saying, yes, get them. <laughs> Anyone would be saying, yes, get them. And that's what they've done. He's He was available for, for that price due to Venlo being relegated. Had they not been relegated, I was told they were looking for nearer €10 million Euros for him. Right. So Celtic are, were lucky to be in that position. They were that they weren't going to be priced out for him, mm-hmm. but there was interest in him and Werder Bremen's interest was, was very real. And he did go out there and, and speak to them and see the facilities. Werder Bremen knew they had to really sell it to them. Celtic were quite confident that, well, we're, we're in Europe, we're in uh, top, we're in uh, the top flight in Scotland, mm-hmm. whereas Werder Bremen were relegated um, to the Bundesliga two, but uh, Celtic were quite confident to sit away with that because Celtic also had the fact that they had Lee Griffiths and Edwards who whose situation wasn't clear either. So that's why it took a, a bit longer to to get over the line and, and why it was done on deadline day. But mm-hmm. it was Celtic had it was a different situation as well because the club had allowed the player to speak to any interested parties. Mm-hmm. And if he could agree personal terms with a club. That club would then go to the to Venlo and organise a fee or negotiate a fee. 
Um, Celtic sort of had a verbal agreement with with Venlo that 2.5 million, well, a deal worth up to 2.5 million would be would be okay. So without doing anything, without formalising anything, Celtic were happy with that, and it was just a case of negotiation, negotiating personal terms with um, Jakimakis and and they, Werder Bremen couldn't afford him in the end. They were offering a more incentive-based if they got promoted uh, clauses, if you know what I mean. They were yeah. saying your your wages could increase by a certain percentage if, if we get promoted or you help us to promotion. Mm-hmm. Um, but Venlo and Werder Bremen were some way off in, in what they were thinking of as the fee for the player. So um, Werder Bremen pulled out. They signed two other strikers, one on loan, and the the way was made for for Celtic to to agree terms with him and, and for him to, to join. Yeah. Um, as you rightfully say, Anthony, you know, if anyone had offered you the top scorer in Eredivisie for around about two and a half million pounds, you're delighted by it. And I'm actually, I'm quite surprised by it. Um, you know, there's there's that, you know, the price is relatively low uh, in comparison and also the fact that it, it seemed to be just Celtic and Bremen that were, were battling out for them. Um, and I don't know if you've got any insight as to why there were, Less suitors for a for a guy like Jackamakis. You know that that's interesting in itself. What's also um, something I'd like to touch on, whether it's Jackamakis or James McCarthy or Kyogo, a lot of these guys are getting four year deals, and it seems to be a bit of a departure as well. You know, from Celtic. You know, particularly with McCarthy, quite surprised at that. But it seems that they're protecting their assets, whether this is a a Dom Mackay inspired move or otherwise. What do you think of the the length? So I think Jackamakis himself is on four years, for example. What do you think of that as a, a strategy? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's good to tie them down on long term deals because if you if they do well and there's serious interest in them, you're in a strong position to 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 play hardball and to either reject offers or ask for a higher price or get a bidding war going. Um, and it also allows for for them to to play well for Celtic. So if they are doing well, they you've got a good few years out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's better to have have long-term deals. James McCarthy one was the one uh, that surprised everyone the most, I think, yeah. in a four-year deal, um, given his age and everything. But I think they see his experience and influence in the dressing room as something... Um, they wanted to uh, wanted to have there for a number of years, whether he is playing every week or not. Yeah. Uh, but players like Jackie Marcus, Celtic will get him in his peak years if he stays mm-hmm. um, for uh, for the length of his contract. So yeah. yeah, I think it's definitely a good thing to have players tied down to deals because as a club who's got that player, you have the power. If you in term in terms of if if the player wants a move, well they would. They, they would command a higher fee. Yeah. I think as well, it, it works both ways. It works very well from the club from that point of view. You know, they hold all the cards in terms of any potential fee. But also from the player's point of view, there's that uh, security. You know, if you're playing for Celtic and playing well and you know you've got another, you know, two, three years still to run of your deal, it can make potentially for a more relaxed and confident player. You know, I, I'm sure as a footballer, it's a... A time of anxiety as you're into the final year of your deal. Are the club going to offer you a new one? Is there going to be any potential suitors? So I think all around for club and player, these lengthier contracts um, are quite comforting. So hopefully uh, Celtic have played that very, very well. So on to the last, uh, Anthony, I believe I've saved the best for last. So Kyogo Furuhashi has come in and absolutely set the place alight at Celtic. He's such a an interesting, unassuming character, but such an explosive uh, and serious talent. 
and he announced himself, of course, with his hat trick uh, against Dundee, uh, and you know one of the the very first games he took part in. How impressed have you been by this guy, and how interesting is it that Celtic have gone into you know such a, a relatively untapped market, save for of course Shunsuke Nakamura? Yeah, uh, what a start he's made, and he's he's a very different type of player to anything in Scottish football, and and maybe in perhaps British football. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see any player like him in the English Premier League either. It's just his style. He's very direct. He's he's not big. He's not he's not uh, particularly like a number a classic number nine. But he mm-hmm. he gives the option to play in a completely different dimension. If you know what I mean, he, he usually a, a number nine will be like a target man, and and you. you play either a long ball to him or uh, you feed off him and let him link up play. But he's someone who can just get straight in behind the defender mm-hmm. and you can just play a, a through ball and he's he's in, he's through on goal. He, I mean, he's missed a lot of chances as well, hasn't he? Yeah, <laughs> but, not, really but he gets, he creates, because of the nature of player he is, he creates so many chances because of his movement. Mm-hmm. And it, when he does have the ball, he, he doesn't like to hold it on for too much either. Mm-hmm. He He likes to play little one twos he's linked up really well with Rogic as well and um he's just a very exciting player to watch and he's top scorer in two leagues I think isn't he Um, Scotland and Japan so uh, yeah some signing at the moment and something someone who you can only see getting better and better mm-hmm. under as Celtic progress and because uh, it's all part of a process at the moment Celtic yes they've started I was about to say they started well but they have lost two games in the league but uh, mm-hmm. there seems to be a positivity about Celtic and Celtic are a lot further further on in their process of rebuilding than I thought they would be at this stage and once once they get to to where they want to be, I think he's going to be the um, pivotal in the success of 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 Andrew's sides, and he's got a bit of bite about him as well. He's he's he, he's not afraid to go in and try and win the ball back. So he, if he loses the ball or, or Celtic lose the ball midway through a counter attack or an attack, he'll he'll be racing back to try and tackle uh, the opposition's midfielder or whatever. He he'll be there to to put an attack he's not afraid to do that so he doesn't uh he doesn't really fit the bill of a typical player who comes from um, that part of the world yeah. and uh, i think that's what's thrown a lot of people in terms of uh opposition players i think often thought you saw it against hearts actually when it's when he came on straight in people try to crunching tackles mm-hmm. um you can just imagine in the dressing room and show me show me he's in a game that kind of mentality yeah. but he's, he can give it back as well and that's, mm-hmm. that's pleasing to see. Yeah, I think he's got a real tenacity as well. So with, you know, all the positive stuff in terms of his pace and in his finishing and his, his just technical ability, he has got that work rate as well. You know, the things that you you should all have as a given, but Celtic have, you know, failed and certainly that, you know, last season on that on that score. But Kyogo's come in and just shown such an attitude. And, and at Celtic as a club, the fans will always um, appreciate and respect someone who comes in and gives it absolute all, regardless uh, of their level of ability and level of talent. Kyogo's got them both. He's got all the ability going, and he works harder, potentially, than anyone else. And I just think it's so exciting as to what what he will bring. You know, there's obviously been wild comparisons with Larson, but, you know, aside from Larson's 
seven years of service and I think 242 goals from Celtic. You know, he's obviously got a long way to go to get anywhere near there. But in yeah. terms of a, a personality and a talisman, I think that's what the, the comparison is. And I, I just think, again, like many of the others we've mentioned here, he's only going to go on to, to get better and better as he settles into to life in Scotland and, and life on the park. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree with that. Yeah. It was a very exciting time. So what we'll do, I'm going to ask you towards the end of the piece, Anthony, for a, a grading overall on how Celtic have done. But a key part of that, of course, is also to look at the outgoings as well as uh, the incoming. So what we'll do, again, there's various outgoings that we'll not spend too much time on. So guys like, uh, you know, Bio and Marion Schved and, and Jack Henry, Scott Brown, of course, moved to Aberdeen, Olivia and Cham frustratingly was released, you know, given the talent that, that he clearly is. But the three major exits I'd, I'd quite like to cover with you just now is Chris Iyer, obviously made the move to Brentford, I think 13.5 million rising to maybe 17-ish. Uh, Ryan Christie, deadline day, of course, to Bournemouth, so championship level Bournemouth. 2.5 million is the figure I've got, maybe you can correct me on that one. Uh, and finally, of course, Odds and Edwards. So this is one that's it's certainly dragged out for some time and there's been so much speculation in the last... 12, even 24 months as to when uh, Odson Edward would finally leave. And that day finally came uh, on the final day of the window. He made the move to Palace, I think for 14 million, potentially rising to 18. So we'll start with Ayer. How did you see that one playing out? Um, I think it's just, it was best for all parties, really. Um, he's the one player last season who everyone knew he was wanting to leave Celtic. AC Milan were very strongly interested in him. and But he didn't show it. Yes, he, um, it was well documented how he felt and how he wanted to um, to move on. But on the pitch, he never showed it at all. He was always given a hundred percent. And yes, he made mistakes, but he was you could he was he still celebrated tackles without yeah. the crowd there. He was still giving us all, and that was pleasing to see. And that's what you want. That's all you ask for in anyone who's who's looking to move. Still give you all on the pitch, and and it it also helps you get a better move as well, mm-hmm. um, usually. But um, Brentford's was yeah. I mean, it's, it's an underwhelming club to join on paper. But um, they're in the Premier League now, aren't they? So if you're putting yourself on, he's putting himself on that platform that he wanted to do. He wanted to play against better opposition every week. And if he has a good season and Brentford go down, he's likely to go again next summer, isn't he? Yeah. And he's he started well. And that, that one obviously didn't surprise me because I think all parties were on the agreement that yeah, it's it's time it's time to go. A deal was was looming. Um, I think I was surprised that it was Brentford in the end when you see the likes of AC Milan who were in for him um, mm. last season but uh, you could, understanding the climate and the fact that Brentford were in the pre- are in the Premier League now you can you can sort of understand that. Yeah and I think for Ayer from his point of view he'll be hoping I would expect to do something similar to what Van Dijk done in terms of the route so go to a, you know, a lesser club uh, impressed there over a season or two and then potentially get that bigger move to a top six. Brentford, as you say, they're a very interesting club as well. I believe they follow a very money ball and, and data-driven uh, system yeah. and they've got a very forward-thinking approach both at boardroom level and and on the training pitch. So it'll be very interesting to see how they fare. You know, it's obviously a, a tough, tough environment in the Premier League and whether they stay up or not remains to be seen. But they obviously see Nair as a key part of that. They, they were glowing uh, in their 
excitement and praise of him when they made the signing. So it'll be very interesting to watch from afar and, and see how that plays out. Um, again, with Ryan Christie, you could certainly argue um, it's a slightly underwhelming move, particularly because Bournemouth are no longer Premier League, of course, their championship. Uh, I think they're highly ambitious. Um, is it Scott Parker that takes them? Yeah. From memory? Uh-huh, um, and there was a suggestion that Christie chose them over uh, Burnley due to the fact that Parker said he could play in his preferred position. I'm not entirely sure where that is for Christie these days, whether it's in the 10 or, or on the left-hand side, but he seems to have been sold in the dream. He'll go to the south coast. I'm sure he'll pick up with Stuart Armstrong for a, a latte at some point on the yeah. promenade. But... And Iyer. Chris Iyer will be... Of course, not too far away. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, do you think... Uh, Christie obviously had that very interesting situation where his deal expired in January. I've rarely heard of that. I don't know if you have, and I, and I can't quite get my head around that. But it seems that Celtic have managed to get a couple of quid in the door um, on that basis. So, as I say, two and a half million is a fee that I've heard, Anthony. Is that, is that where you're at on that one? Yeah, that's the fee that we've been told as well. And I think that's... Given someone's got six months left on their contract and it's the summer... I think that is as much as you're going to get as for a player. I think Celtic have done well to get 2.5 million for him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such an underwhelming move, though, and mm-hmm. I was so surprised. No offence to Bournemouth, but they're they're in the Championship. It's not like they are in the. I was I was giving Brentford the benefit of the doubt because they're in the Premier League, but mm-hmm. Bournemouth are a club who's I think Dunfermline and Greenock Morton stadiums are bigger than than theirs. They've probably right. got bigger fan base as well. It's it is such an underwhelming move, and well, if he can get them up and help them help them go up, then then brilliant. Um, and the championship is the, certainly the top end of the championship um, is levels ahead of of the run of the mill Scottish Premiership games. But it's it's just strange. He's turned down the Premier League. I can sort of understand him not wanting to go to Burnley as well, and even just the type of club. I, I do also believe there was. Um, he, he wasn't really keen on Burnley as a club in general um, to go to. I think he was hoping for, like, um, our understanding was Bournemouth were worried that other Premier League clubs were going to come in last minute as well. Yeah. That, that didn't happen. He, he was set on Bournemouth. Uh, I don't know what, in terms of positionally, um, what role he was, he's was he been promised or anything, but what he was wanting was to be able to play in that free role. So whatever, he, whatever position he was meant to be starting in, he would be able to roam and be that kind of roaming midfielder. But yeah. whether you can do that in the championship and have that kind of luxury player, um, I'm, I'm not sure. But I guess Christie does get stuck in. When he really wants to, he can take the game by the scruff of the neck, get stuck in and, and, and fire you to victory, which he's done with Scotland as well. And it's it's just an underwhelming club he's joined. No offence to Bournemouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, to it'll just be interesting how he sort of acclimatizes to that, having played some of Celtic's qualifiers as well. And um, the early games where sixty thousand back at Celtic Park and the place was rocking for Altmar, especially it, it was. It'll just be interesting how he copes with going from that and that adoration that like kind of that arena to then playing by the sea in front of 10,000 people. Yeah, so it just it feels like, you know, just a bit of a come down for, for Christie, given that he's featured in these big European nights for Celtic, cup finals, he scored some big goals for us. Um, obviously, Celtic Rangers games and, and everything else that comes with it. And to, yeah, to then go to the championship. So he, unlike Ayer, he won't be playing Man U, Man City, you know, Chelsea Spurs, he'll be featuring against some very, very run-of-the-mill clubs. 
And it's also a cutthroat environment. And as you say, he may not get that luxury of, of being a, a free-roaming number 10 uh, in the middle of the park as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think the writing's been on the wall for Ryan Christie since, I think it was his dad, Charlie, uh, came out some time ago and said something along the lines of, Ryan's an ambitious boy and, you know, he'll be keen to, to maybe test himself elsewhere in the goodness of time. And I think that hovered around him and you can't fault him. You know, it's a footballer's life at the end of the day and they've got to move on and, and do what's right for them. But yeah, it just seems that it's it's not the move uh, many of us would have predicted for Ryan Christie. And he goes with our best wishes. He, he, he was <laughs> heavily criticised at times, sometimes rightfully, but he always gave his all. And I, again, that's all you can ask of a guy. Yeah, and I I just thought a move, because I was told uh, maybe about a year ago that he was keen to maybe go abroad as well. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, Christy, the way he plays, he would really add a new dimension to a club in France, for example, or mm-hmm. um, Portugal or, or somewhere like that. He would, he would really add to it. Even the Bundesliga, I think he would fit in well there. Um, it just seems underwhelming that he's gone to the the English Championship, and I, I'm just well, not sure whether he'll maximise his potential there or even get the recognition that he might have had had he joined even just a, a Monaco, for example, who were interested mm-hmm. in him um, in the French League, and uh, he would have been playing European football as well. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it just uh, I hope I hope it works out for him because he's a good lad, and um, you want him to do well. Um, especially from a Scotland point of view as well. And you want it to work out for for, for these players. It's just, uh, I, I think he might have been able to get a better club than than Bournemouth, a bigger and better club. Yeah, yeah, very possibly. I think as well, just from a financial point of view, he'll obviously be on a, a decent salary. I'm not sure the, the, the length of term, but I'm sure uh, if his agent's doing his job right, there will be a, a, you know, a promotion bonus. So if they manage to make it to the Premier League, his, his salary should increase accordingly. So, and maybe that's part of the thinking. Maybe Scott Parker sold him on the on the dream at Bournemouth and maybe, maybe they'll return to the, the Premier you're, League. You're so, relying on a lot there, aren't you? You're relying, it's so hard to get so out of the English Championship and you're relying on a lot when you've got a Premier League club there mm-hmm. wanting you. And I'm sure if, if had other Premier, Premier League clubs known that he was available for only... Um, two and a half million. You'd have you'd have found others 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 in there. They Bournemouth and Burnley certainly did their homework and did it well and got a got a good asking price and and they've kept it quiet certainly in in footballing circles and Bournemouth have done so well to get him in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as I say, good luck to Ryan Christie. But it seems that to an extent he, he has rolled the dice on that move and, and we'll see how that plays out in the goodness of time. Um, so lastly, in terms of outgoing, certainly the big one, uh, Anthony has mentioned, it's been much rumoured for, for so long. Uh, and Edward, Odson Edward, finally made his move to Crystal Palace there on the, the final day of the window. The figures, that, again, I'm working on is 14 million, potentially rising to 18. There was obviously a lot of talk as well about the, the 40% sell-on clause that was due to PSG. I believe it was 40% of any profit Celtic made on the £9 million they paid for him. So various figures doing the rounds here. But ultimately, Hudson Edward, no longer a Celtic player. And for me, it certainly feels the right time for a partner of the ways. So how did you see that playing out? Palace were mentioned early. There's obviously the link with uh, Patrick Vieira, but then it went a bit quiet, but obviously they've picked it back up again. Yeah, and... Let's be clear, Odds and Edward would not be signing for uh, Crystal Palace had there not been that French 
link uh, Patrick Vieira. I'm sure someone who he admires greatly, as any any French kid would have done um, growing up. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's Celtic have done well in terms of setting a lowish fee, initial fee, and gaining more on add-ons because it's it's forty percent of the profit that Celtic make. So it's just over two million pounds that is going to PSG. I think someone told us that's like two or three weeks of Messi's wages paid for in this deal. So um, PSG can thank Celtic for that. And um, Messi can do personally as well. Um, but yeah, in terms of Edward, so now, so any additional Celtic wanted clauses that were achievable and they can drive, we understand them to be rising up to 18.5 million pounds. Right. And any money now that comes in from the additional clauses will be going directly to Celtic. That is not part of the initial fee, which was in the clause with Celtic and PSG. It was 40% mm -hmm. of the profit from the transfer fee only. And that is from the 14 million pound fee. So anything more that comes in from Edward, any more riches will be going to, to Celtic directly. And that's quite cleverly done because yeah. um, a lot of people see, oh, he's gone for 14 million. That's underwhelming. And um, even even with the situation of his contract, um, because people were seeing that Celtic were looking to get around 18 to 20 million from him. They are, and they still are likely to get that because I've, I've been told that these are very achievable um, clauses without being told what the clauses actually are. Yeah, yeah, I think it's. I agree. I think it's very clever for Celtic to have structured the deal in that way. Again, you know, might well be down to to Don McKay. Uh, if not, credit due to whoever's uh, come in and taken that approach because, the, the you know, the sell on profits is a bit of a frustration. But this is a a clever way around it. And Edward is such a talent. I think, like I, I think he will go on to to bigger and better things than than his than his newest employer. Um, I mean, just to speculate, Anthony, those clauses. Do you think they'd be things like? I don't know, a top eight finish or Edward to score more than 15 league goals or, or things of that nature? Yeah, I, do, I think, I mean, this is just me guessing. In terms of team bonuses, I'd imagine maybe if Palace avoid relegation, certain percentage, but I think it's going to be mainly um, incentive-based for Edward. Right. And if he scores a certain amount of goals, if he uh, makes a certain amount of appearances, that'll be the first one ticked mm -hmm. off. It'll be something like, 10 appearances and that'll be the first um, payment or installment. Um, again, I'm just guessing based mm -hmm. on experience of some other deals, but um, and then there'll be there'll be ones, I, there'll be something about if he gets a cap for France as well, or if he's called up and in, into the squad, that'll be the, the maybe the less achievable of the, um, what they class as the achievable um, mm -hmm. clauses. But so you, if he's playing in the Premier League, there's why not? Um, he, he probably will be seen at, seen more of as a prospect for the the actual French national squad. But uh, yeah, time will tell how what kind of odds on Edward Crystal Palace are going to get. We've got to remember he is young, and he's he's still got a lot of progression to do. Last season, he hasn't really been playing that well for Celtic, but. Of the season before, I'm just thinking of those European games, especially mm -hmm. the Lazio games and um, Ren and uh, the, the likes of those. He was just 
unplayable at points yeah. that season and he just tormented he was just such a good out ball I remember Lazio away especially just seeing every time he, he got the ball you felt Celtic could could go on and do something and actually get a goal which often didn't seem the case in previous years um, when Celtic were playing away from home in Europe and he was pivotal to that and he was pivotal to the winner, the winning goal by Cham mm -hmm. um, in the 94th minute. And yeah. it was, uh, yeah, it, it all depends on what kind of odds on Edward Palace are going to get. But I think I think he does have, fans were a big thing, I think, as well for, for his um, performances last mm -hmm. season. I'm not excusing as, that, as making that the reason, but when players didn't have the motivation, he already wanted to move on. He stayed to try and do the 10. Um, which was an almost unwritten agreement, but it would it was made clear quite early on, maybe November, December, that Celtic were not going to do the ten, was it? Mm -hmm. So his his head just dropped, and yeah. uh, unlike Ayer and Christie, he you could sort of tell he was he was uh, wanting away and not wanting to be there. But uh, yeah, Palace have got themselves a, a great talent, and Celtic have got themselves a great deal. Yeah, I totally agree. I think frustratingly, as you mentioned, we've seen both sides of Odds and Edward in recent years. And, you know, that's been, uh, you know, a real bone of contention for many fans. But there is absolutely no doubt that on his day, in my opinion, he was the most talented player at Celtic. And again, you know, some people ha have made a point of not wishing him all the best. I think he's given us such good nights and such good memories. Uh, and overall, his contribution has been huge in terms of Celtic getting... Certainly the treble treble and of course the quadruple treble. He's played key roles in a lot of those fixtures um, and it goes with our best wishes. I think as well as that, uh, very, very recently, of course, he played a key role against Alkmaar uh, in getting us through that game. So obviously that was such a tough game to to watch and and for Celtic to come through. But, you know, come through they did and largely in part to Edward coming on in the 60th minute. And, you know, he didn't get his goal, he didn't get an assist, but what he really done was just held up the ball, ran the channels, brought his teammates in, and he played a seriously uh, important part. So, again, it goes with our best wishes, and it'll be really interesting to see uh, if his progression stops at Palace, if he finds that level, um, or, as I think, he'll kick on to, to Desert Hex than that. Yeah. Yeah. So, obviously, we've now covered all the incomings, all the outgoings, and just a just very small section, Anthony, if you don't mind, in terms of just, you know, the ones that got away, if you like. So obviously Celtic as a club were and always will be linked with literally dozens and, and dozens of players during any transfer window. Much of this is speculation, no real basis and different things. But did you hear any rumblings, uh, you know, in your work of anyone that Celtic were close to that didn't quite work out? Um, well, I missed most of the window, obviously, because I was ill. So mm -hmm. I was very much switched off. And yes, there was people in touch with um just constant just during my time in hospital but it was once they realized what that i wasn't going like working properly mm -hmm. um it, it became less about the actual transfers or anything like that but what the one that uh celtic were close to was uh jan kuto okay. and um the right back from man city and he was invited to to celtic park um to watch it was uh, Yablonek, yeah, yeah, Yablonek, um, at home. That's where I was. I was at say Alkmaar, but then I was like, that's that was too early. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he came up to watch the game, must have enjoyed his day out in the atmosphere, <laughs> but didn't maybe didn't fancy coming. But I think that was more for more personal reasons. Right. Um, 
I was told that his uh, partner was looking to be somewhere where she could work and speak Portuguese, obviously Brazilian um, family. Mm-hmm. And uh, Portugal was, there were a lot of Portuguese clubs in for him and right. Braga were, were very keen. And that was, that was always looking more likely. But Celtic, I, I say came close in the fact that the player was actually at Celtic Park mm-hmm. and, and and accepted an invite to come along. Um, in terms of others, um, I'm, I'm not too sure. I mean, we, um, we spoke about uh, previously like Thomas Henry and um, he was certainly someone Celtic were wanting, um, but the price tag was, was, um, was maybe a bit too high and and then Jackie Marcus also they found out that he was he was available and at a cheaper price and also having er- the Eredivisie top scorer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they went for him, but I, I also think Thomas Henry was being courted by other clubs who had a stronger interest and in that he had a stronger interest to join at that time as well. That was sort of when I was coming back to work, yeah. so I just got the la- the tail end of of what went on there um, rather than how it developed as Celtic's interest. Yeah, I think as well, and I'm not sure how true this this may be, but there was a suggestion that Ange himself changed his mind on some guys quite late in proceedings, and you know, I suppose we'll never really know for sure unless you know he comes out and reveals. But mm-hmm. it seems that he's maybe shown an initial interest, done the homework that you should be doing, and he's realised that he's not quite the right fit for for his team because there's there's two things at play there for Ange Postecoglou. Of course, they've got to fit into the system in terms of this free flowing attack minded football. But I also believe they need to fit in terms of, you know, the, what's the right word, the culture that he's trying yeah. to build um, in terms of the type of person they are. We spoke lonely of, of Kyogo, didn't we, about how, you know, it's not just the, the talent he has, it's it's the attitude and the desire and the work rate. And I think that's very important to Ange Postacoglu. And we've we've been lucky enough as, as fan media to speak to some of the new signings. And I believe we're going to get a chance to speak to the likes of Jack Amakis and Yota and uh, CCV moving forward, but mm-hmm. I think the personality is hugely important to Ange. Yeah, and I mean, you could sort of, t- I, I don't know that for sure that um, Ange pulled out on, on deals later on or anything like that, mm-hmm. but you can sort of tell, I mean, he had two and a half weeks two and a half weeks to get into the, get in the door after his isolation yeah. and start building a team, and you can tell who are Ange signings um, and who aren't. I mean, Joe Hart wasn't an Ange signing. Of course he wasn't. Celtic were trying to go for him. He'd have been provided a list of names and yeah. targets. And he, he, this is what the scouting team and the um, the recruitment team have identified as targets. Of course, that, that, that kind of background work can happen without him. But he still has to have a look at that and say, mm, yeah, we'll go for him or we'll, nah, not too keen on that. But sometimes they get along the line of, um, I'm not saying this did happen, but sometimes it goes along the lines of they, they make contact, they speak to the player and maybe the manager or um, someone at the club is not too keen on after they've spoken to the player. They just get that feeling. But you can tell Joe Hart wasn't a, an Ange signing. Um, McCarthy wouldn't have been an Ange signing. Celtic have always been linked with James McCarthy. Liam Shaw definitely isn't because he was a Neil Lennon signing. Yeah. And um, Abada also wasn't a, I, well, I highly doubt was a um, Ange signing because of uh, the connection with Dudu Dahan, the, the yeah. agent. And he has yeah. a very, um, he's very much a go-to man for Celtic to find players, um, to find little gems um, in Israel and, and beyond. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it's a, you know, 
they don't always uh, land in the way you want to from Dudu Dahan. There's been various players, obviously, most recently, uh, El Hamed headed back after a, a fairly uh, uninspiring time here. But Abada looks to be a real find. Um, I think he, he was also involved, uh, certainly, with, uh, let me see now, Bayram Kayal, if I'm right yeah. in saying that. Um, uh, various others. But yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's hit or miss sometimes, but Abada seems to be a, a real find there. But yeah, you know, it is interesting. You're, you're quite right. I'm quite sure some are Ange signed. You know, you can't deny Kyogo is 100% Ange's guy, but less so for some others. And it'll just be interesting to see how they all gel as a team because it's one thing bringing in the player and knowing that this guy can play football. It's also another thing bringing someone to a new country, a new way of life, a new dressing room and seeing how it all gels. And this is where Ange really, you know, starts to earn his wages because this is his thing, building teams, building cultures and building winning teams. So I'm sure this is, you know, the hard work starts now after a, a frantic uh, number of weeks trying to get the, the players in that they want. So, I mean, just on that very note, Anthony, as we start to close things out, overall, it, it'd be great to hear, um, you know, how you think Don Mackay and the Celtic board have performed uh, along with Ange during this window. Was it maybe better than you expected, maybe worse in some quarters. So what's your overall feeling on how they've done? Uh, oh, you're putting me on the spot now. <laughs> um, hard to grade it when you, a lot of the, some of the players haven't even played properly. Um, it's on paper. I, if I was to give them a grading, it would be a B. Right. Um, and a, a soft B as well. Not, not near an A at all, actually, because right. I think Celtic, there's still the issue of the um, that could come to bite them in this season. Certainly, the fact that they did not fully prepare for these Champions League qualifiers. This was the season where they could have done so. They spent a lot of time um, waiting on Eddie Howe. This is from February. They spent half a year wait, um, waiting on one manager, pretty much, mm-hmm. and not getting him, and then having to get. A rush another manager in um, and give him, he had this quarantine and everything and then two and a half weeks before the season, Celtic, Neil Lennon left Celtic in like 20th of February or something around that time mm-hmm. and Ange Postacoglu Celtic's new manager starts two and a half weeks before um, I'm talking about after his quarantine, I know he was yeah. named before it. it, starts two and a half weeks before the actual season starts mm-hmm. um, and competitive games, I just don't think that was good enough but they've somehow salvaged a bit of hope because I thought, especially after that Hearts game, this season for Celtic is going to be all about just showing some kind of sign of progress if they win a cup or something like that. I thought there's no chance Celtic are going to win the league this season. And I very rarely think that. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm usually very optimistic, but sometimes too much. But th- this this season just seemed like Celtic are going to go be going through the motions. They're going to be dropping. I mean, this still could happen, but let's hope not. But it's I, Celtic are a lot further on in their progression and through this transition period than I thought they would be. But we've got to remember they still are in a transition period. Yeah. And this process could take time until Ange gets the team he wants. He didn't get a prop. I would say he didn't get a proper window, this window, mm-hmm. because he came in two and a half weeks before the season started. Um, it could take another couple of windows before we see Ange with the team that he wants and with the team that he's brought in. So I... 
on that basis, I mean, the players they brought in, some look very promising, others, the jury's still out on them, and others haven't even played yet. Mm-hmm. So it's it's hard to to properly grade it. I would say a very soft B oh. um, would be how I would grade it. Yeah, and I think that seems pretty fair. I'll give you an opportunity, Anthony, in six months to revise that as well, once yeah. we've, we've seen a, bit, a, bit, a soft B for now, and I, I think that's fair. I think also Ange himself has, has indicated, certainly, that he may further explore the, the market in Japan, potentially in January, uh, maybe pick off a, a couple of talents there as well. And certainly, you know, after that window, it would look far more like a, a fully functioning Ange team. But in the meantime, I, I think you're right as well. I think we've all changed, or a lot of us, certainly as fans, have changed their expectations. I think, you know, before Ange started and after Eddie Howe broke down, the hope was just that Celtic would be competitive this year, at least, you know, given the failings of last season. I think we're now going a, a level above that, and Celtic have shown, despite, as you rightfully say, two defeats so far in the league, but despite that, I think they've shown that this is a, a team and a system that's only going to get better as the weeks and months pass by eh, on this Celtic season. So, overall, a really exciting time. I'd have taken a B+, plus, or sorry, a B, a soft B, uh, before eh, the window started. So, I think eh, that's a decent grading, and I think it's a very exciting window overall for Celtic. So, on that note, we hope you've enjoyed today's special episode of the Celtic Exchange and some of the insights that Anthony's been able to bring on Celtic's transfer dealings. Let us know your thoughts, good or bad, on Celtic's transfer window on Twitter, at Celtic Exchange. But in the meantime, thanks as always for listening. Finally, my thanks as always to you, Anthony, for your time today. It's been great to have you back on the show and we'll look forward to speaking with you again very soon. Thanks, Tino. It's been great to chat again and be part of the podcast. Sponsored by 1010 Podcasts.